Why would someone be critical of a solid work ethic? And could the relentless pursuit of your goals lead to misery? I'm Nikos Sotirakopoulos, and this is New Idea Live, the podcast of the Ayn Rand Institute. With me, literally with me today in Athens, is Tristan Delis, and from Oceans Away, Elan Zurno. Hi, all. And today the topic is hustle culture. So why, first of all, what is hustle culture and why has it recently been problematized? Why do people say that if you hustle, it's something which is destructive for your life? So let's start with understanding our terms. So what is, quote, hustle culture? So hustle culture is this glorification of work, first of all. It's placing work at the center of your values, at the center of what you try to achieve in life. But also, it's a mindset that pushes you to do more. It's this voice that is telling you that you could be something more, that you could do better in life, and that you, sh- that you should go all in, in pursuit of this, let's say, higher vision of yourself. Now, when it comes to examples in the culture out there of people who, let's say, promote hustle culture or who personify hustle culture, Figures you might have uh, seen are, for example, Gary Vee, Gary Vinerchuk. He's an entrepreneur and he keeps encouraging people to pursue their dreams, pursue a side hustle career, uh, do their own thing, work harder so that they make their hobby, for example, into, into a profession. Or what about someone like Joko Willing, former Navy SEAL, who is now a leadership uh, teacher and every morning he posts on Instagram the photo of his watch waking up at 4.30 in the morning. Or someone like David Goggins, who used to be very miserable in life. He was sad, he was obese, he was praying for cockroaches. Nothing wrong with that, but he was very unhappy. And then he became someone he would never imagine of becoming, a Navy SEAL, an ultramarathon runner. And again, he's someone who says that you can always do more if you work hard and if you suffer. So this term suffering, I know it's something that you are quite interested in. Now, what about the critics of hustle culture? The critics of hustle culture claim that it actually makes you very uh, focused on only one thing in life, only in your work. And this is alienating. This means you will probably have no personal life. This will lead to burnout. And this will make you antisocial. So they say hustle culture is not only something that is going to bring forward a better life, but it's someone which is going to sabotage your life and sabotage your goals. So Tristan, let's start from this point of view. So why would someone who is interested in philosophy care about what some people say about work or whether we should work hard? What's the interest in the student of philosophy in all that? So... In the history of philosophy, it's actually, interestingly, uh, not a common centerpiece of uh, views of ethics to think about productive work and uh, what its role is. Uh, But from objectivism's perspective, part of what makes objectivism radical and from objectivism's perspective is really important is uh, productive work and its meaning as um, the central uh, way in which we express and uh, use our rational capacity. So from uh, just a quote Rand here on productiveness. So she views productiveness as 
it's your acceptance of morality, your recognition of the fact that you choose to live. Um, productive work is the process by which man's consciousness controls his existence, a constant process of acquiring knowledge and shaping matter to fit one purpose uh, of translating an idea into physical form, of remaking the earth in the image of one's values. So she sees it as it's not just a, a peripheral value, it's not just something that is required to do uh, for your survival. It's not something that you, that you just have to fit into your life as one value among others. It's actually um, central in, in terms of the kind of person you become through your work and then uh, what you achieve through your work, the, the way that you shape the earth and the image of your values, um, the way that you use the material to fit your purpose um, and to create wealth is of profound uh, spiritual importance for Rand because it's an expression of our uh, capacity for rationality and it's how we can enjoy that capacity for rationality in terms of experiencing life as purposeful, um, having a sense of our own competence and self-esteem um, and being able to relate to other people as traders and collaborators. So Elan, there seems to be a dichotomy here. What Tristan just described is hard work and trying, aspiring to be productive as almost a spiritual experience, let's say a higher, a moral calling. Whereas in the culture out there and in the critics of this phenomenon of quote hustling, people say, oh, if you hustle, you're gonna be shallow, you're gonna be superficial, you're gonna be, to put it in the words of a philosopher of the new left, Marcuse, you're gonna be one dimensional. So where is the, where is the truth there? Why is this dichotomy in how people view hustling out there? Uh, I think just to build on what Tristan was saying in, in, in answer to your question, I think Ayn Rand is very interested in the role of work in life. And so to draw out a thread from what Tristan was saying, in her philosophy, one of the virtues, one of the means to succeeding in your life to self-preservation is the, the idea of the principle of productiveness. Not productivity, productiveness. It's the idea of creating values, of supporting yourself by that. And to your point, Nigos, her view of productiveness, now if you think about her concern with this, it's the, a big part of what she focuses on in the stories she writes is the work and the career of certain characters. I mean, that's the big arc in Atlas Shrugged. And so she has a lot of deep uh, observations about what it looks like to do this well and what it looks like not to take it seriously. And one of the themes that comes out, particularly in Atlas Shrugged, you can see this, it's true as well in The Fountainhead, for those who've read it, that in her view, productiveness is not just, yeah, you created some value, you have food to eat on the table, you've got a piece, a hunk of meat and you've got shelter. It's not, that isn't nearly the full conception of what productiveness is. That's just the bare minimum of what it, you need to survive. But it's, it's, a, it's a deeply spiritual, has deeply spiritual significance. And spiritual here doesn't mean in sort of religious terms. It just means with respect to your, your mind and your personality and your, 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 your mind and your character, I should say. Uh, so to, to, to take on head on the, the issue you're raising, because why do people think then that you're going to be shallow. Well, her view of the role of work is really radically different from most people's in the culture. And Tristan, you can tell us more about how this relates to the history of philosophy, but I, I'm pretty sure from my understanding, it is a very radical view in the history of philosophy. I mean, even among better thinkers in, in among the Greeks, they had a view of work 
that was different in their view of the use of the mind in creating values is radically different. So we have, I mean, there's a couple of things to say about why people think of work as shallow and, and it goes to some of the criticisms that you've raised. Uh, one of them is that just this idea of there's a, a division in, in the world between your mind or your, your character and action, right? The mind and body, uh, thought and action, uh, theory and practice. And there's a lot of dimensions to that and that's not really our topic, but just to, to know that that's present and it's reinforced from all sorts of directions, both from religion and from sort of secular perspectives that you can either be an artist or you can be a, an engineer. You can't be both. You either someone who thinks or you're a doer. And in Ayn Rand's conception, that is completely wrong. There is no necessary uh, dichotomy here, no necessary alternative. You, you don't have to choose between those two. And in fact, she thinks that all work, if it's really productive work, it has a it fundamentally is, is requires you to use your mind to achieve values. And so in that sense, it's, it's the union of the two, not the separation of them. Um, so I, I, that's sort of just the beginning of an answer to that issue. But I, I wanted to throw a couple of things back at you guys just to see, because Nikos, you're the one who was really keen on this topic. And I, I want to hear a bit more from you. What do you see as, so I, I suggest that we put this in scare quotes, hustle culture, because is, it's a really interesting thing. What is it trying to capture? What is it trying to isolate from all the things in the world? So I'd like to hear, so what do you think of it? What are the best elements of it? And then let's talk about, maybe we can get into some of the criticisms and what, what's going on there. Yeah, so I, I'm quite enthusiastic about hustle culture, to be, to be honest, and uh, I want to defend it from these uh, attacks, which I see as straw manning attacks. So, but why am I so enthusiastic? So we live in a culture that celebrates, uh, thank God it's uh, Friday. We live in a culture that says, uh, love your flows and you know, accept yourself as you are. We live in a culture that is quite skeptical of the idea that you have agency. What does it mean that I have agency? It means I can put my mind into work to achieve goals. I can understand the world, and therefore I can change it through my work or through my actions. So we live in a culture that these things like, oh, I have control of my mind. I can make sense of the world. I can change. All these elements are put into question mark, to put it very mildly. Or from many other people, they are completely denied. No, you don't have a control. You don't have agency. You're determined from your environment. You're very vulnerable. And here you have some people who say, no, you do have control. You can take life in your own hands. You can exercise agency. And also, you can be better than what you are. So how, for example, you, you mentioned Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand sees art as you know, life as it could be, which means life can be something better. We, can, we have to aspire to the heroic. We have to aspire to the higher in terms of, uh, not higher again in a religious way, but I can be better than this. I can. I can have a vision for myself, something that I really want to be, that I have chosen, and I want to reach that vision. So I would say hustle culture is almost countercultural these days. It goes against most of the trends in society out there. And not only today, I grew up with the legend of Icarus. He tried to fly close to the sun and he collapsed. And I think this was I was always very depressed from this story. Why didn't he manage to get to the sun? Why did he have to, to call up? So 
this ambitiousness, this moral ambitiousness, but also practical ambitiousness. You can start your own business, whatever. So this moral and the practical thing, they come together in hustle culture. It says that you can do more and you can find meaning through this work. So I find this again, countercultural, almost I would say radical and revolutionary in today's culture of low expectations. Do you, what my what do, you, do you see do you see value in it? I'm curious your perspective. So what I think what's interesting about um, hustle culture is that it's sometimes there to know what's being packaged in it and because the you know criticizing it often have you could say you know, an anti-capitalist bent or um, a view that, okay, work shouldn't be that important in life, that is going to color the way that they criticize uh, hustle culture, I think. Or you work for someone else. You work hard, but right. someone else gets the benefit. Right. So there are a lot of uh, issues like that that complicate evaluating it in terms of thinking, okay, what what are the people that are defending hustle culture? Um, people that you mentioned, like, uh, Goggins or you know Elon Musk is typically cited as a representative. Um, what are they actually defending? What are they actually committed to? Um, but I, what I see often is uh, a confusions on at least two issues. One is uh, the idea that uh, working hard is really important. And uh, what's the confusion in that? Well, in one sense, uh, you could take that to mean it's really important to be ambitious. It's really important to grow. It's really important to uh, constantly be learning, constantly be challenging yourself, um, not being complacent. On the other hand, you can take that to mean you need to suffer. You need to uh, make sacrifices in the sense of genuine sacrifices. Like you need to give up things that you actually want as values in your life. Um, in order to achieve it or in order to be successful, whether it's, you know, you need to sacrifice uh, friendships or you need to sacrifice leisure time or um, you need to sacrifice rest, whatever it is. Uh, and that if you're not suffering, you're, you're not trying hard enough, you're lazy or, um, you know, you're not being ambitious enough. So that's one, uh, one issue that I, I find uh, potentially problematic. And the other issue is that I think it's possible to take uh, the idea of hustling or the goal of hustling as an ideal in a you know, second-handed way, in the sense that, and what I mean by second-handed is you're taking on or adopting standards that other people have set for you or that society has set for you. For example, if your uh, motivation for doing a certain kind of work or pursuing a certain kind of career is, oh, other people will view me as a loser if I don't make enough money, or um, you know, my friends and family will be disappointed, or partner won't respect me, or uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to be popular, or I'm not going to be um, you know able to. Uh, I'm not going to have the kind of prestige or status that I want in my life. If it's defined in terms like that, in terms of standards that other people are setting, expectations that other people are setting, uh, or uh, duties that other people uh, expect of you, perhaps, I think 
that's a second-handed approach to work that can sometimes happen in what I see in people talking about hustle culture, people talking about hustling, where it's not clear is what, what are, are the standards something that you're personally setting? Is this what personally matters to you the most? And from objectivism's perspective, productive work is not a value because uh, society or um, some third personal standard has determined that, you know, you're a loser if you don't work 80 hours a week or mm -hmm. if you don't make X amount of money or whatever it is. That's not, there's no such perspective in uh, objectivism. From objectivism's perspective, which I think is uh, the right perspective on this issue, that all values uh, have to be first-handed. You have to um, choose them. You have to conceive of them yourself. You have to understand how they fit together. Yeah. And it, it can't be that you take on other people's standards. And the reason I think my reaction to hustle culture is more mixed is I think some of the critics are picking up on that, that there's a problem with uncritically accepting other people's standards and it can result in a loss of motivation and a feeling of burnout or burnout. exhaustion because you don't know why you're doing it anymore. You don't, you're not setting uh limits on what you're doing and it can undercut um, your ability to approach it rationally and to um, you know be stay engaged and motivated in in your work so let me emphasize sure. something on what you said and then let me play devil's advocate and throw a question to elan so you mentioned that if you have to you know work hard you have to have chosen why you are doing it i'm doing it because i want to reach a particular aim so I have some personal experience of the opposite, which is what you said, hustling without out of context, as we would say. So around 2016, when I was working a not very fulfilling like a university job, I read a book called The, 5 a, uh, the Miracle Morning by a guy called Hal Elrod, who actually talked about the benefits of waking up very early. So I liked the idea. So I said, good, I'm going to wake every day at five o'clock and I'm going to start working at five o'clock. So I did this. And then I'm like, what am I working about? I, my, my work, it's unfulfilling. So it doesn't require a lot of work. So why do I wake up at five? And like, what's the point of this? And of course, within a week, I stopped doing it because there was no point. I, I like the idea, but I adopted someone else's standard. That guy had a fulfilling career. So it made sense for him to wake up early. But at that point of my life, suffering for the sake of it, quote, suffering for the sake of it, didn't make much sense. So definitely, I agree that hustling makes sense within a goal that is meaningful to you. So now, for example, that I enjoy my work, it would make sense to wake up a bit earlier to put more work and to be more productive. But Elan, here's the, here, both of you seem to be questioning the virtue, let's say, of suffering, to be questioning the virtue of feeling the pain towards the pursuit of your goals. But wouldn't someone say that Randy and heroes in the novel actually do suffer, in or out of quotation marks, the suffering? So here's a line from The Fountainhead. So our hero, Howard Rourke, is an architect who definitely works hard, and a friend of his who is worried because Rourke is working so hard, makes these remarks. Says, Howard, quote, you're completely natural only when you're one inch from bursting into pieces. What in hell are you really made of, Howard? After all, it's only a building. 
It's not the combination of holy sacrament, Indian torture, and sexual ecstasy that you seem to make of it. And Rory replies, isn't it? So Elan, is, is it Indian torture indeed? And if Rourke agrees that, yeah, sometimes it looks like Indian torture, the process of being productive and creative, then why not embrace that suffering is part of the game? I don't think it's the right way to think of it. I, I, so the, what's powerful to me in that quotation that you read from the Fountainhead is let's step away from the, the terminology of hustle culture for a moment because I'm not super comfortable with that framing of things. But I think what, what's, what's right in this discussion that it's, it's sort of buried here is this idea of being ambitious for values. And in, I think in, what's distinctive in Ayn Rand's philosophy is that that's a good thing, that creating values first-handedly, choosing them and pursuing them doggedly, uh, that is what life is about. And to be ambitious about that is to be ambitious about your life, is to take your life seriously and say, I want to make every minute count. This is all I have. And I'm going to, but, but, and that's important. And that's, you see that in Rourke, you see that in all the, the, the heroes of her books. Because I think her perspective is life is, this is it. This is the value that you have and you think about how to maximize it. Let me tease out one aspect of this because you, 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 I think part of what you're motivated by here in this asking this question is, well, isn't he suffering? He's admitting it and it's sort of like Indian torture and isn't that terrible? I think it's useful to distinguish between something that's effortful or challenging or uncomfortable and suffering or, or pain even. So I, I had various projects that I would say were really hard. <laughs> they were physically grueling to get the, the work done, but I liked it because I, what I was focused on is this is what I wanna accomplish. This is the thing I wanna create. This is the thing I wanna have people see and, and consume or, or, or learn from. And I think part of the mindset that comes from thinking about values in the way Ayn Rand recommends is she has a, uh, she likes this expression that comes up in one of her essays, uh, causality versus duty. And it's, she, she's borrowed this from someone else. And the idea is you, you take what you want and you pay for it. I hope I've got that, paraphrase that exactly right. But the idea is that if there are things you want out of life, no one's gonna hand them to you. And it's wrong to expect that. And it's wrong to expect them to come to you effortlessly because anything worth having is worth investing in. And the idea is that if, if this is what you want, whatever, however high you've set your sights, life is about going after that. And, and so to me, it, it, does that require, you might lose some sleep. You, you might have to prioritize your, your goals in a certain way that it doesn't look like the conventional nuclear family experience. It's not leave it to beaver. It's, it's something very different. And it doesn't matter because there is no script. And to your point from earlier, Tristan, about adopting standards from other people, there, there might be good things about certain modes of living that you choose to adopt. Like I wanna have this kind of role for my hobbies and this is what I wanna do with my family, my distant, but it doesn't look the same for everyone and it shouldn't because if you are really defining your values individually, I've thought about this is what I wanna accomplish my life, this is the career path I'm trying to pursue and, and move forward on. It, it's not gonna look the same and if it does then you have to really think, why am I, what, what have I adopted here? So, so to me, it's, 
effort is part of achieving values. It's something to be embraced, not chafed at. And one thing, if we peel a layer back here, there's two sort of philosophic issues that are worth naming and we can, we can decide to talk about them more or less. One is there's, a, there's an, an actual issue that everyone faces here. This is not just within the context of the debate of a hustle culture. It's, there's a real question of how do you structure your life? How do you rank your goals? What hierarchy of values are you pursuing? And that's a distinctively objectivist perspective. If you have values in your life, what are their relative importance to you? And that's not gonna be constant throughout your life. You're gonna to have to reprioritize certain things based on where you are and what you're doing. But that's figuring that out is not a set it and forget it issue. It's something you need to be thinking about and being purposeful and, and adapting to your situation. So, so there's a real issue here. And I think that's part of, that's in the background that's worth addressing. The second one is, and this goes more to the critics and the idea, uh, some of the ideas behind the criticisms. Throughout discussions about work in, in this context of the hustle culture, we read some interesting articles in preparation for today, and it's just all over the place. And it, it's sort of like, it's hitting you over the head that so much of the way people think about work is colored by what you could call this Garden of Eden perspective. It's like, well, the default should be we just walk around and get what we want it's a paradise and then the fact that we have to do work is a burden and a punishment and that and then so well of course i'm going to resent it it's, and then they come up with all sorts of stories about how you're working for the man you're being exploited you're not you're, you're you know this whole sort of theoretical structure that comes along with that but that's completely false that's that's an unhealthy perspective on values that's not true of how values are accomplished and the the reverse is true is that recognizing the values required to put action into it is the step towards be, have, sort of developing a healthy perspective on your work and the values you want to accomplish. Uh, so, so let me hand it back to you. I'm, cu I'm curious, Tristan or, or to Nikos, to, on that issue of suffering and then how do you, to think about it in the culture, cultural context. So suffering, so, so wait a minute, so here, it, it looks like the only disagreement we have at the end of the day is what is the definition of, of suffering? So, Chris and, and Elan, probably you mean feeling discomfort, feeling uh, giving up some things that are lower, however, in your hierarchy of value. For example, you don't go and play bowling, for example, but you do something which is more important to you. So we could say, existentially so to speak this is not suffering so it's it's probably what Rand says it's uh, pain that only goes so far it's discomfort or you give up something but even if it's difficult you still know that you can achieve so the the, the example that comes to mind again from fiction is Howard Rourke when his uh, initially his career as an architecture looks like it has failed and he goes in the quarry and there he does work that every muscle aches at the end of the day. But he knows that I'm still on a path. I'm still, I, I still want my life to go in a particular way. And this is a hurdle. I don't know if ever I'm going to be a great architect, but I'll still be on the path. And this path is I'm going to do good work. I'm going to lead my life based on my values. So here's a question here. Does it make sense to quote hustle, to work hard, to put your work 
and or productiveness at the center of your life. When you are not doing the work of your dreams, so should we quote hustle where we are in the quarry? Because a criticism of hustle culture says that people work hard in jobs that are not meaningful. And indeed, many people, they find their jobs not meaningful. So does the virtue of productiveness, does the virtue of hard work still apply when you're, let's say, in the quarry rather than when you're building the Enright house to bring it back to the founder head? Yeah, so I think what you just asked brings out something really important, which is that working hard isn't an end in itself. You can, mm. you can, work, you can actually work hard at things that aren't ambitious. Um, you know, I, I've known people, for example, who have um, a sort of work hard, play hard mentality where they work really hard at a day job um, or maybe an evening job like bartending or something like that. And then they spend the rest of their time um, just, you know, uh, spending that money on, uh, you know, frivolous activities or like getting drunk or, you know, just um, doing drugs or whatever and kind of escaping the the pain and boredom that they so in a not, not parting because someone will say is parting wrong but parting in a non in an unfulfilling way that you wake up the next day and say you know my life is not better than it was yet. right and, and and there's you can have a perspective of well that person's still you know working really hard they're still working a lot of hours but that's not that's not what's really important and that's not uh that's not a measure of you know, how well they're living if what we just mean is, well, they're really exhausted or they work really long hours. And that's part of what I was trying to bring out with the idea of, um, you know, there's something packaged into the idea of working hard that I think is problematic. And, and then because it's a problematic package, I think you get the issue that um, it's not really helpful as guidance. I, I, if you wanted to phrase like a short phrase like that, that was would be more helpful it'd be something more like work intelligently okay. you know like work in such a way that um you understand the value of what you're doing you understand how it fits into all of your goals um you understand why that's the most important thing to do right now um one of my uh favorite writers about work is um author named greg McKeon, and um he has a a sort of work a productivity mindset he calls essentialism and part part of that framework is um when you're working you ask yourself it's the most important thing i could be doing right now with my time like for the life i want to live and i think that's a way that's a, a much more helpful perspective than like could i be working harder could i you know do i still have like more energy that i could use up that it's not it, going to alon's point there might be uh, cases in which you know you you have to um, push push yourself a bit past your normal limits, and you might be exhausted. But that's not the norm, uh, or that shouldn't be the norm, and it's it's certainly not a standard of uh, whether you're succeeding or not. Well, to be honest, I have my best night's sleep when I feel exhausted, so I see some fulfillment in that. But Later to the question of what do you do when your work is a bit unfulfilling and should you still yeah. give it, give your back? I, I want to come back to that, but I just want to respond. One thing here is there, there's in the debate, we should talk more about some of the criticisms as well of what this phenomenon is. But part of what comes out is it's as if there are 
preset ways of working and you're, you're being pushed into the wrong one. And the hustle culture is tricking you into this model of work that's wrong. And I would challenge that, not that, that you shouldn't be ambitious. I challenge that there are preset ways of what your work life should be. It's something you need to define. So if you're an entrepreneur, if you're starting a company and, and you're putting in 18, 20 hours a day, because this is your dream, you, this, without this, you don't want to exist. This is the, the thing that gives you, the goal that's driving you, the value that you're trying to create. There's no position from which someone can look at you and say, you're doing the wrong thing. And you might, because if you're really, if you've chosen it and you're clear about their goal and it's objective to you and you can justify it to yourself, this is a rational goal. I think it has a chance of succeeding. And yeah, I'm just not going to date for this year. I just don't have the bandwidth to date. I'm, what I really want to do is master this thing. I want to figure it out. Uh, there's no position someone, it's not clear to me how someone could be in a position to tell you that's the wrong thing. And the same thing is true if, for, uh, for people who say, well, look, the kind of structure I want for my work is that I, I get home for dinner to see my kids and I have time to help them with my, their homework. And that's part of the constellation of values that I want to have in my life. And again, there's no position from which someone can tell you, well, you're doing it wrong. The question is, is there an objective basis for your, your goal? Have you identified your values in such a way and are you still with respect to the, the the role of work and career in your life is it still the source of the organizing principle around which you rank certain things high, more highly than other people and so in that in that respect when you think about some of these sort of life hacks like wake up at 5 a.m or do the, there the, i think some of them can be useful but they're not principles they're sort of rules of thumb or the little tricks here and there and they're going to work for some people in certain contexts they're not going to work for other people and that's because partly people differ in how they want to work but more fundamentally how you structure your time is going to be completely it's unique to your context and your goals and if, if i want to work 20 hours a day that's my life that's what i'm going to do and i don't i don't see the basis for criticism of that so let me flip it over and say to your question, Nikos, uh, what if you're in a job that you don't find fulfilling and should you be quote hustling in that context? And I, so one is let's question the premise there. Why are you in a job that's not fulfilling? What would it look like to hold this job in a fulfill, fulfilling way? And mm -hmm. should you be looking at other things? Like, should you be, doing this but also looking for something better are you taking your life seriously and i have i've had many jobs prior to the institute that i wouldn't i would say were not fulfilling <laughs> and uh there's things you can do to make them more fulfilling and to put it more broadly whatever job you're doing if it's a legitimate job is actually creating value in some context in some workplace that you should be doing and leaving aside crime and that sort of thing there is no job that cannot be done better and more efficiently. Um, there is, and, and you might not be the person to make the decision about whether it should be changed. Like there's certain things in a medical context that you're not the one to make that call or, you know, but you can raise it and say, well, look, I think we can do better here. I want to try something different and, and challenge yourself. Well, this took me, I'll give you an example. So there was a, there was a case where I had to do some accounting work in one role I had. It's got very boring once every three months. And you had to fill out this tax form and it was 16 sources of data. And it, I just, 
I thought this is really boring. What would it make, what would make it more interesting? Well, how could I get some, how could I grow as a result of doing this job? And one answer to that is you can't, it's impossible. The other answer is, well, what if you set a timer? So it took me 20 minutes to do it normally. What if I did an 18? What would that look like? I would have to be super fun. And then I came up with the idea, well, suppose you created a spreadsheet that does all calculations for you and it takes me one minute. Wouldn't that? And then I learned how to do spreadsheets in a way that's more complicated. And so I've grown as a result of that. And then I, I can see my way out of doing that job. But I, I think in many cases, the, the, when I've encountered this with people, the idea I'm doing a job I don't like, I'm not gonna put all the effort into it is, how do you think you're gonna to get to a job you do like? What would that look like? It doesn't always mean you do it through that particular job and climb, but it might mean you put in the effort to find a better job and treat, treat the whole enterprise as something important and worth investing in. But, but here's, here's my biggest problem with the critics of uh, quote hustle culture, that there's this cynicism that basically says, don't bother. Don't bother. You cannot, you cannot find a very fulfilling job is a lie. And the only person who, who benefits is your boss. So what you said here, Elan, is that, no, there is an aspiration, even when I do a boring job, because A, I can do it better. B, there's something there for me. I can find fulfillment or I can learn a skill that can, I can later use. So there's an ambitiousness there. This ambitiousness is what complete, is completely lacking from the critics. It's, they're not telling you, if your job is boring, uh, work hard to find a better job. For example, it's what Gary V says, you hate your job, okay, do a side hustle, start a side hustle, but it's not easy, so you have to stay up late. And sorry, this is the truth. You cannot, you cannot start in a successful side hustle three hours every day, most of the time. So it's this, it's this cynicism that for me, is the biggest problem with the criticism of hustle culture. And you notice that these people are also cynical when it comes to trade, when it comes to capitalism. And when it comes even to the idea of the so-called American dream, they say that we are sold a lie. They say that hustle culture is a scam. Why? Because it promises you that if you work hard, then you're gonna achieve. And my question to them is this, if working hard is a scam, then what would be your advice to someone? And usually their advice has to do with organizing a union, ask for universal basic income. Yeah. And my problem here is not even politics, okay? My problem is what does this do to your self-esteem? It tells you that the solution will come from someone else. And of course, coming together with people, forming a union within particular context, and if your action is not well, this could make sense, but their but their my problem is their mindset. The mindset is, eh, what can you do? It's like this shrug. Well, you can't do anything. This cynicism, and this is bad again for the person who adopts this mindset. So, so you're not hurting your boss if you adopt this mindset. You're mostly hurting yourself, I would say. Uh, I can, yeah, go on. I'm just keeping an eye on the. Uh, on comments, okay. and I want to thank uh, the contributors. Someone says, didn't Ayn Rand also do boring admin job in, a, in an architect's office so she could try it found again? But here's the thing, there was a purpose there. The purpose was very high. I want to write the fountainhead. Therefore, I'm going to do, quote, something which might be a chore. And this is the case in 
so you you want to write an article editing is boring or for some people you know. but this doesn't mean that it's a, the, it's within a context that it makes sense so yeah. thank you again to and to our, to our super chatters so you were saying something Tristan well so there's a lot to unpack here but I think just in terms of uh, tying together a couple of the threads we've been talking about here um, and I, I think this will also tie into some of the attacks on hustle culture is that um, the rational perspective on how you're thinking about work and how it relates to meaning and how it relates to fulfillment and achievement um, is always a causal perspective so it's you never, uh, from a rational perspective, you don't, you don't regard, um, going to Alon, to your point, you don't regard, uh, you know, the effect of, oh, I want my work to be meaningful, and you just, you think about it, or you wish it, and you don't try to think about, how do I bring that about? Um, you, there's always a perspective of, okay, it, that's the effect I want, that's the goal that I want, how do I enact the cause, or what are the causes I can, potential causes that I can explore? Um, but, but it goes to the other way too. And, and that's, so to kind of push back on you were saying before Ilan, I think I, I agree with you insofar as if what we're saying is, so before you were saying what, what's the perspective from which you can criticize someone's, the way someone's approaching their work, given that they've chosen it. Well, I think there are causal perspectives from which you can criticize it insofar as the mere fact that so there's one issue of have you like first-handedly chosen those standards, but those standards also have to be based on reality. And um, we have like physical and mental limitations. We have emotional needs and, it, and it, people have different needs. So people need to think about what are the, what are my needs? Like maybe you don't need a relationship or maybe you don't need as much rest as another person. Um, but I think there are cases in which people aren't thinking about that rationally and they just think in terms of, oh, you know, I can just do um, whatever I choose and like I don't have to think about the, the mental and physical costs involved with that. Can we give an, an and example I think to our audience I, so that I, it's, it's, yeah, so, it's concretized? Yeah, so, you know, you might think, um, I, I've seen many uh, cases where uh, people don't put um, enough, enough effort into friendships and they don't realize that actually they really want and need um, the intimacy from a friendship but they think oh you know I can just set that aside I can get everything I need from my partner I just choose to live that way and then they experience a sense of loneliness and a sense of disconnectedness from people and the perspective from which to criticize it is is not well um, like you know I want you to live the way I've, I've decided is the right kind of life. It's not a kind of intrinsicism, but there is a perspective from which you can say, look, you need to think more carefully about what your needs are and how everything fits together in your life as a whole. Don't just think about right now, or just don't just think about um, in a narrow sense, like just uh, like a, a narrow set of values that you're pursuing right now. Think about what are all the values available to you? What do they look like? pursued into the future and do they fit together with uh, what actually in them and engage them just one more point on that is um i think to the critics now um 
I think part of the problem, so you have people like Sarah Jaffe who have that perspective, right? That, yeah, the idea of work being fulfilling is a, a myth that's being forced on us. And we don't have to get into the political elements of it. But I think part of the problem is um, it, that's a, a non-causal perspective. The, the causal perspective is there's no such thing as automatic fulfillment. Um, there, there's not a, a material garden of Eden and there's not a spiritual garden of Eden. There's no such thing as, well, if you're in a natural state, you're automatically fulfilled. Fulfillment takes work. Um, it takes thinking um, and you have, to, you have to earn fulfillment and you have to earn meaning um, through exercising your mind, through uh, engaging um, your capacity to produce and create values and that has to be done in, in a productive way because that's the, that's the only way that um, humans can fundamentally um, experience competence. There are other ways that we can um, obviously engage our minds, but if we're not engaging it productively uh, by the nature of human life, someone has to be doing it for us. And, and that's something that's central to Rand's point as well is that part of what it means that um, productiveness is central to human nature is that it's what sustains human life. And if you're not doing it, if you're not um, engaged in that, someone else is doing that for you. And, you know, to go to the point of, well, what if you just didn't work or, um, you know, you had universal basic income? Well, you're missing out on a crucial um, experience of you're competent to sustain and create your own life. So and that has to be created. It makes sense. And, but I want to throw a last question to both of you, which is perhaps one of the most, I don't know, many controversial things that I've run, but this is one of the most controversial for many people, and which is that productiveness is the, the most important, let's say, or, or actually, let me put it in the way she puts it, that pro productiveness is a recognition of the fact that your work, God, your work is the purpose of your life. And many people get this way. Isn't achievement of my happiness the purpose of my life? Or there are quotes by some Randian, by some heroes in her novels that may confuse people. So, for example, Francisco says in Atlas Shrugged something like, there's nothing of any importance in life except how well you do your work. So someone could take this in a particular context and say, wait a minute. So what about things like love? Well, I remember, I think there are people who are, Objectives who claim, no, for me, the top most important thing is not my career, is my, is my romantic life, for example. So what does this mean when it says that, uh, uh, that productiveness is a recognition that your work is the purpose of your life? And where do values like romantic love, for example, or happiness in terms of having a family, how do they fit within this understanding of productiveness as, again, and the work has been the center of your life. So if someone hasn't got their work at the center of their life, are they immoral, Elan? No, I, I wouldn't say that they're immoral. I think it would be a question of what is organizing their values? And I think the, what, would, what serves that function well, because it's, it's, the new, it's the focal point of where you create values in your life is, is career or work. So I, don't, I wouldn't go to the step. You need to know a lot more about someone to say that they're immoral than that, because there could be reasons yeah. it's not work. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they're you know, capacitated in some way. Um, 
I mean, I think if you're broadening it to Ayn Rand's conception of the good life, which sounds like sort of thrust of your question, I think your view is that romantic love is a high value. It, it belongs in your life. It's, it's an irreplaceable value if you can find it. And it, part of what is needed is to have a conception of what your life is going to be. So we've been talking around it a number of different angles here, but we can put it in different terms here that part of the, the responsibility of living is to identify your own picture of what your life is going to be. And that includes, you know, fundamentally, what kind of values are you going to create? What are you going to do with yourself? What is your career? What is your path in life? How are you going to create the values? And in doing that, there's so much more we could talk about here, but in doing that, there's a, the spiritual side of work is that you're in the course of working on something that's really meaningful to you, you're creating yourself, you're, you're building, you're reinforcing certain traits of character, you're, you're reinforcing, you're, you need to use the virtues in order to accomplish certain things. So it's a self-reinforcing process. So work isn't just about what well, you need food on the table. There's deep psycholo psychological and, and, and spiritual aspects to how work is valuable to you and where to place it. And there are lots of options. You say, what about family? Yeah, I have a family. It's very important to me, <laughs> irreplaceable to me. That's not true for everybody. No, it doesn't mean that everyone needs to go and get married or, or have a partner and, and build a family. That's not true for everyone. It's, it's you... It, does it fit your picture of your life? And it, the answer could be yes, the answer could be no, or it could be in 10 years time. Uh, so it, the, I just wanna stress one really important point here, which we've kind of touched on in different ways. And I've, I've put it in a kind of metaphorical term. There's no script for you that's written out there that you have to figure out and, and then follow or other people are gonna hand it to you. Uh, that is that is the the actual issue of, taking your life seriously and figuring out what that looks like. And there, are th you can have inspirations, people can help you, you can figure out from looking at other people and learning from that. But there, there is no inherent model that we're all supposed to be following. And that, that's the point, to, I, I agree with your criticism, Tristan, but that no one is in a position to criticize you about your choices. So I agree with what you're pushing back on, but it's, I'm at, the point I'm trying to capture is there's no, in sort of preset model that someone can look at and say, oh, you should be doing this versus that. Your goal should be to go to medical school and, and get to you know open a practice by 35 and family and kids by 42, and you're not doing that. So what's wrong with you? Uh, or your path as an academic should be this. And, and they, they, that, there's no vantage point from that perspective. To your point, which I, I think was really useful to bring up about, there are certain values in life that are super important and that you, losing sight of them can be harmful. So you gave the example of having friendship or, or love or just sort of intimate relationships and so on. I agree, those are important. But again, it's taking one's life seriously means taking that part of your life seriously too. It can't just be, I have sort of nothing else in my universe of values uh, forever and ever and ever. And because in effect, you're to what end are you doing this? Like, how are you going to enjoy your life? Is it you're going to sprint a marathon until you die and then at the last minute you're gonna have a gasp that's not quite right um and there's one thought i want to throw back at you and just get to, to, to your point about how to think about this um 
we didn't talk, in, I, I wish we had spent a bit more time about, on the criticisms because I think they're really pregnant with philosophic meaning. But so let me raise one issue that I think is, makes it hard for people to think about the basic issue of what is the role of career and work in life, in, in a good life. And that is, and you were touching on this as well, both of you in different parts of the conversation. It's this, which is, it's easy to go wrong, right? That, so the idea of workaholic, right? It's, it's modeled after alcoholic. It's like you're, you're treating work in a way that is, the suggestion is pathological, the suggestion is psychological drives that are not healthy. And we, so before there was criticism of hustle culture, I'm old enough to remember when, you know, he's a workaholic and that's, it's not a good thing, right? It's like, it's, it's ruining his life. And uh, now there's something real about that. Like not everyone who works long hours is a workaholic, but some people who do that are doing it because they want to run away from something in the same way that people who drink too much are trying to run away from something oftentimes. And again, I, I, this is, I don't want to turn this into a psychological discussion. It's not my, my field, but there's definitely an, a way in which people can fasten onto what is a legitimate and important part of life, which is work and treat it in ways that are unhealthy and in effect counterproductive. And so when you think about the critics of counter, uh, the people criticizing hustle culture, some of what they're picking up is, well, why were you working like that? Like, wh what's the point here? Were you doing this because you're trying to cope with psychological challenges that you haven't faced or haven't identified, let alone faced? Are, are you doing it because you're unconfident in other areas of your life? You don't want to date and you're kind of blocking that. I'm just going to do this, this one thing in my life. I don't have time because you don't feel like you could be doing that. So there's real yeah. issues here that are layered in and that make the criticisms, I think, more plausible. So when you watch various videos of, I tried hustle culture and it ruined my life. Here's what I learned from it. And, okay, yeah, th there's definitely ways in which people go wrong independent of hustle culture. And I think the criticisms further blur it because they, they want to present this package of hustle culture, as you were saying, Tristan, that it, it's bringing in a whole bunch of different things. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. Some of them are questionable. And it's making it hard to think about this issue of what should be the role of work? How should you approach ambition? And that's part of my criticism yeah. of this whole, that's why I, I think of it is it's, it's in scare quotes. It's not clear what, we're, what the, the phenomenon is. I think ambition is good, being serious about your life. There's a lot of things here that are important to tease out. Um, but let me, let me pause there and leave, throw it back to you guys. So my final, uh, my final point on this, so you mentioned the workaholic who is probably missing on some things, but for everyone, I, okay, that's not a statistic, but for every one person who is this workaholic who, let's say, is missing out on things, how many people have untapped potential? How many people live a life who, if they got the self-confidence that, yeah, I can do it, that it's possible. If they get the inspiration that I could be more in life, I could be more fulfilled. I would say for every one person who is workaholic, there are many, 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 many people who have untapped potential. So this is why even though I take into accordance your points, Tristan and Elias, I, I understand how you can say that this can go wrong. I still think, my final point is, I still think that our culture is at the stage where hustle culture is a move towards the right direction because untapped potential and lack of self-confidence that you can do more 
is a big problem. And again, I saw it in myself. For many years, I thought that, well, I mean, I was watching you people in the Iron Run Mission. I was saying, how nice would it be if one day I'd be there? But you know, it's impossible. No, it turns out it's not. Uh, it turns out it's not impossible. And I'm very glad that I found some mentors, even if I they don't know of my existence, that inspired me to pursue my my dream. Yeah. So I would say, that going back to what I was about the causal perspective. You know, that's a really correct point, but just thinking about things like what you just said. So, you know, imagining um, someone who's, let's say, is um, an engineer or a lawyer, and you might think, you know, could they work harder? Like, are, is there more untapped potential that they don't have? Well, one, one question to think about is, what is, what do we mean by the potential? Like, potential for what? Um, and I think it's, it's actually really important that you said fulfillment. Um, because if we're talking about a potential for um, a more integrated life, a life um, your values fit better together in life in which you're more engaged, then that's an important kind of potential. But that might be the kind of potential that people who are in fact um, hustling are, are lacking. So it's, it's not just the, you might be working really, I, I know people actually, I have ex uh, examples in my friends who, um, to reach their potential in terms of a life that was meaningful and fulfilling to them, they actually had to cut back on hours at a job that they were working. They had to actually make more room for other pursuits that, um, in this case, I had a friend who was a lawyer and she had to make more room for um, music and art that was really important to her. And it's not that she's not ambitious or not serious in her career, but she wanted a life with both values. And she saw, look, if I'm going to have both of these values, I need to cut back on it. And that you, I think there's an equally valid perspective from which you could say when she was working those longer hours, she was lacking a certain kind of potential. So if, if as long as we're thinking about the potential as what's causally required um, to live a life that's maximally um, engaging and meaningful and fulfilling to you, um, then that that's what matters, not what's your potential for an increased economic output. Or what's your potential for a higher income? And, and then just the last thing on that in terms of, I think that's where the things like physical and mental health um, can come in. And I, I think that's the part that I'm most sympathetic to in terms of when people criticize hustle culture and they point out, you know, you're, you can actually, uh, you're usually more productive um, when you're less exhausted, when you're well rested, yep. um, when you're relaxed, when you're not stressed you're a better partner, you're a better friend, uh, you're a better parent. Um, and, and, you know, physical and mental health are, are real attributes that we have to deal with and we have to think about them um, rationally. And uh, that's part of the causal perspective, I think, of what kind of life are we living? And then time also is, is we have a limited amount of time. And if you want to pursue certain kinds of values uh, besides your work, you have to make time for them by cutting back from your work. And that's, I think that's an equally important and valid sense in which um, people can realize their potential. Yeah, Rourke actually goes at some point vacation for three months. And one of the, <laughs> yeah. one of the reasons he gives is that, I'm, something like I'm paraphrasing, that his work is not at the standards he wants. So he understands that he has reached the point that 
he needs uh, he needs vacation. So Elan, parting words. I, I was going to amplify your your last comment about uh, you were quoting referring to something in the story in the fountainhead. I would say more, most broadly here, for people interested in hustle culture and being ambitious and this whole community that's built up around the, some of the people you've talked about, the best thing you can do is to read Fountainhead, Abstract, and just look, look at the characters and look at her perspective on work and it's in, the way she thinks of it work, uh, playing a role in someone's life. And it's gonna open your eyes. It's not only that she has a distinctive view of the value of it, because part of what happens is she lionizes, she, she treats as heroes, productive people in all realms of work, right? There's people who are in industry, people who are scientists, people who are playwrights and so on. And she sees that creative work is possible in any field if you're approaching it the right way. But the, the other point, the other benefit of other value for the people who are interested in this topic is it's just, it's just so inspiring. I mean, I have to say that's part of what inspired me is like, look at this person it's possible to have a love for the work that you do that's so powerful. It's, it's like a dynamo, it keeps you going and it, it makes you climb higher and it makes you find satisfaction in, in the work that you do. How do I find that? that? That was one of the questions that I was left with. So to me, it's, there's a lot more to, for us to talk about. I, maybe we should do another conversation just around philosophy and work. And there's much more than we actually covered. But for people who are listening in, interested in this topic, you owe it to yourself to take a look at Rand's uh, novels and just to get a sense of how she thinks about this. Excellent. So before we go to the closing uh, remarks, let me say thank you again to our friends who are super chatting, Grisa, Roland, and our friend in the Zoom Q&A. We don't have time to go to your questions. We appreciate your contribution, but we're going to be in Clubhouse around half an hour after, straight after the show, for around for the duration of uh, 30 minutes. So if you have comments, further questions, join us in Clubhouse. We can continue the discussion there. So. Elan, do you want to make the outro? Well, yeah, join us on Clubhouse. We'll be back here. There'll be another episode of the podcast. We have a topic that I think people will find uh, challenging and interesting. It's, it's about the political battles of a public education. I hope you'll join us usual time next week. And thank you, Tristan and Nikos. Uh, it's been fun having you guys in the same room. I hope we can set up something like this again next time. Yeah, and, uh, enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for being here. See you all next time. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.